Hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm Libby. I'm Tori. I'm Quentin. And, and we're, we're Crooked, Crooked Classics. Classics. Welcome to Crooked Classics. This time we are discussing A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. For the first time, we are talking about an essay instead of a novel or a play. A Room of One's Own was published in 1929 by Virginia Woolf as a combination of two lectures she had written for women's colleges. Virginia Woolf was born September 25, 1882, and considered one of the most important modernist 20th century authors and a pioneer in the use of stream of consciousness as a narrative device. A Room of One's Own is a classic feminist essay regarding the accessibility of writing to women historically. It focuses on the history of women, with both real and fictional women considered. She considers the way Sister of Shakespeare would have lived, and the way Jane Austen lived, and how their works and lives would have changed if they had access to a space of their own and access to financial independence. Now, just to be clear, we mean English, white women, <laughs> and nobody else, because it's not an inclusive essay. No, and we no, barely no. mean that. The thing is that she pretends it's an inclusive essay, and it's not. Yes. I am a pacifist. I'm also back on the podcast. Hi. Um, Kirsten's here this week, everyone. (laughs) Welcome back, Kirsten. Yay! I am a pacifist. But if Virginia Woolf was alive, and I caught that bitch in the streets, (laughs) I would send her back to the grave. It was infuriating to read this essay because, first of all, other than the basic point of women need time and resources to themselves to be able to create good art, because that's true of any human being, and women are traditionally denied that more than men, whatever. Other than that, like, absolute basic, distill it down to the absolute essence point, fucking nothing she says is correct or reasonable. And I hate everything about her. (laughs) She is also explicitly excluding me from that point because Virginia Woolf doesn't think that people who aren't white are people. She acts like she's speaking for all mm-hmm. women and for all men, and she's not. She's speaking for rich white women. But that's the thing, is that it, when the essay was written at the time, women were thought of as objects, and that... It was decreasing, be- because World War One had happened, and that was there was a lot of advancement in terms of like social rules and regulations after World War One. Not as much as after World War Two. Yeah, but I, I know that one of the points with, of the novel was that women are there to be beautiful and to just like take up space. And having a brain or having like any sort of thought detracts from the beauty. And I'm I'm frustrated with that acknowledgement. But it was a point of history, is that this is how they thought about women in that time. That's how rich white women were forced to live. Oh, that too. Now, don't get me wrong. Non-white women and women of the lower classes were not, like, encouraged to intellectual pursuits or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But there was a certain level of steadfast character and competence that they were socially, like, within their own kind of realm, expected to possess, which is absolutely not a requirement of rich white women, because they are purely ornamental. Um, Like, in terms of how people consider them, obviously, I don't think that rich white women are purely ornamental. Um. (laughs) I mean, we kind of (laughs) are. 
I think it's bold to call yourself rich. <laughs> I have no student loans, but I would not consider myself rich. Well, I mean, where are we recording right now? In the, 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 house current, the current housing market? My love, we're home poor. <laughs> I'm You're what I call guys. Jane Austen poor. Not re- but not. <laughs> I'm proud of you guys for emerging into the middle class. I am. Oh, I don't you. begrudge any of it because it means that you guys can buy me things. Um, <laughs> I did buy you the nicest theater tickets I could oh, afford, we, which was we, the bad we, ones for your might. birthday. What irritates me is when people act like a concept is universal, but it's not. If she had, you know, like not acted like this applied universally to like. Women and men in general. No, mm-hmm. it applies to rich white people. And if she was just like speaking this, if she was standing in front of us speaking this, and we were in fact those rich white women, not unfair. But um, since it's an essay and she published it, and it's theoretically accessible to everybody, it just it doesn't make sense. Well, the thing is that she doesn't care. That's true. She was famously <laughs> anti-Semitic. I do She's want to say racist. one thing. Like, but for things. not Jewish people. Sorry. Go ahead, Quinn. <laughs> go ahead. Um, he needs to he needs to <laughs> empty his mouth of the food first. Anti-Semitism. Listen, is, I made good food this week. Is technically a type of racism, especially back in the late twenties. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Jewish people weren't really considered white the way they are in America today. Correct. And Virginia, well, first of all, English. Although I think Jewish people, like Ashkenazi Jewish people, are considered white in England right now too. But in nineteen twenty, they absolutely wouldn't have been. So it's fair to call that racism in its own context. You can kind of okay. smell World War Two coming in this book. Actually. You can. She talks about the fact. Fascists in Italy. Yeah, she t- she's like, is Mussolini going to start a war? I don't know. And I was like, I know. <laughs> it's, it's not, not going to be him, him, but he's going to be in... <laughs> it's not even Mussolini's fault. Okay, I am going to say, we also probably have to keep in mind that the audience that she was originally talking to was probably mostly rich white people. Yes. This is true. But you see, the thing about me is I hate rich people. What did I do? I don't, I won't say, well, nothing, because you buy me things. Rich people, you can buy my affection, but until you do, I hate you. Speaking of, we're looking for a sponsor. (laughs) One of the things I actually really, really loved about this essay, and I am in no way saying it's above criticism, my enjoyment of it is very much from a place of whiteness, Um, but one of the things I really love is how she's like, we're going to make up a fake university, let's call it Oxbridge. <laughs> Very subtle. Very. Very subtle. Nobody knows. Where could this be? We never could have guessed. It's definitely not Oxford and Cambridge. Did they say Cambridge in English? I think they English? say Cambridge. Cambridge. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we say that in American English. I think if we say If anybody it, like, knows, tell us on our Twitter page. Please we, feel free to tell us. We don't on know our if it's Twitter Cambridge page. or Cambridge. I mean, I I'm pretty sure. I do want to say it was opened in like the 1500s by Margaret. Beaufort, but I could be wrong. She opened a lot of universities. As she should. Love it. Love to see education. Yeah, she was a big fan of, like, opening universities, opening monasteries and stuff, and ironically, her grandson just shut all that shit right down. I think it would be great to know what Virginia Woolf thought poor people were doing. Like, oh my god, women can't go to the nice university, they have to go to the shitty university. Bitch, what about the people who can't afford the university? I will literally slap the white off of your <laughs> face and solve your whole problem for you, you dumb c- <laughs> I'm sorry, I really passionately hate Virginia Woolf and I have for a really long time. That out. <laughs> you can actually hear her from there. 
Sorry, future Libby. I'm not. I didn't do anything this time. I'm not sorry, and I would say it again. I'm sorry, not going not to. Sorry about what I said. Because I'm I don't think it's fair to make you edit fun. it twice. But I would. I stand by my opinion. I don't think Libby. we're going to get copyright stricken for that one. <laughs> It's just because I think the reason why it agitates me so much, because obviously in 1928, rich white people don't care about me. And that's fine. Um, the lecture was 1928. The publication was 1929. For yes. the clarification of our listener. Um, the thing is, is she's acting like she's progressive. And she's not. She's talking about how she has found like the white light of reason because she's just so intelligent and capable and her mind is so androgynous and i'm just sitting here like dude just say you only care about white women and go don't pretend that this is anything other than self-centered and self-motivated because you are only writing this for women like you Hmm. there was a point in it where she said um that white women never see black women and feel like they have to make them english and i was like Hold up. <laughs> well, there have been black people in England since at least the Tudor era. We well, have massive amounts of documentation about it. Kirsten definitely has something to add or say. Yeah, what she meant is that uh, white women are never attracted to black women. Um, and that men oh, simply cannot sure. control themselves around the harlotrous Jezebels mm-hmm. that are black women. And just insist on putting babies in them who are then by some type of right English, which I think is a real, that, that's a big assumption well, on Virginia's part. Well, you have to keep in part. mind that once you go black, <laughs> you never go back. So. I mean, that's a big part of why white women treat black women the way they do and kind of a general trend is insecurity about their perceived attractiveness. Um, well, I, and it's I mean, why, I can see that because coming from some. <laughs> Coming from a white woman who is very insecure, you know, if I see someone prettier than me, I'm like, oh, my man, my man, don't, don't, don't come near me, my man. Libby's doing a crab dance right now, I need you all to know that. I wish we'd filmed that. (laughs) That would have been my most famous TikTok. One day we're going to do a video. Maybe we'll start a TikTok. Maybe we'll do, like, spark notes. What is it with us and aquatic creatures? Well, I'm a Cancer, so. I am also a Cancer. I'm an Aquarius. That's, that's an air sign, actually. Yeah, but I'm sorry water. to burst your bubble. It's water, it's, though. It's I an air sign. I don't understand why it's an air sign. I also it's don't literally water. It's water bearer. <laughs> I mean, objectively. All right, let's talk about this completely different Scorpio, <laughs> Cancer, and Pisces are all, like, wetter creatures. Speaking of Zero Lobsters, this podcast. In this book, there, there probably will be lobsters in the podcast. Well, <laughs> but that doesn't make sense because Scorpio is a scorpion. Scorpions belong in the desert. You well, know why not the kind of scorpion thing. it's based off of, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately I could take the essay in better faith if it did not claim to be universal mm-hmm. while actually being extremely exclusionary. Um, because like I said earlier, like the baseline point is fine and valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you can, not excuse, because it's not acceptable, but like having an overwhelmingly white novel from 1928 or 29 makes more sense than an argumentative essay about access to education. Right. <laughs> like, um, so... Completely, probably a hot take. Do you think that might show just how 
right shift the right has become. Elaborate on that a little for me, because potentially. Well, compared to the past, I would say, like, right wing has not been as extreme as it is nowadays. Yeah. And I think in European, it's they're more left than... Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Than the U.S. is. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then, no, vastly. No, our, our left is right their parties. Like, they have rising extreme right parties, too, though. Oh, good, yeah. we're doing um, that again. Fascism is having a worldwide resurgence, and in that sense, you know, right now they are on the precipice of the Great Depression happening, and people did predict that to some extent in advance. Um, rising fascism. I'm in a Great Depression. Virginia Woolf. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to help? <laughs> I'm funny. Hey. <laughs> Tori, my dear, looks aren't everything. <laughs> Listen, two objective parties have said I am funny. I did stand up once and I'm you never doing it again. Humor, yes. <laughs> you are proof that pretty girls do have to develop personalities and a sense of humor. Thank you. I wasn't pretty till I was about 15. Well, that's not true. I was pretty when I was a baby, and then I went through that long, awkward period. Anyway. Better than peaking in high school. If I peaked in high school, I would kill myself. So, there Um. was one thing that... (laughs) I'm sorry. It wasn't a great time. Well, no, I didn't peak in high school, so we're fine. I I went on a grippy sock vacation about it, and then I came back from my grippy sock vacation, and now I'm never going back. It's fine. I'm going to live until, like, whenever I die for normal reasons. Up to and including murder. (laughs) <laughs> but not suicide. Maybe someday I'll go to Hades, but why now? <laughs> I have dreams. I have elves. I want to build the wall to keep us free. I want to see friends. Okay, back Anyways. to point. <laughs> <laughs> there was one thing that I didn't think about until we started talking today. And that was, like, most of the notes that I wrote down, because I write down notes. I feel like this is obvious now. She's the Um, only person who does it, and we appreciate that. Yes, because it helps me keep them on topic, even though sometimes I divulge. Anyway, I tell myself I'm gonna, and then I don't. (laughs) Point is, I've been coming at this novel from a purely white female Mm -hmm. background. And I was raised in middle honestly upper middle class so I come from it I come to this novel from that point of view and getting the other views of a different ethnic background or a different financial background gives me that different Mm -hmm. perspective of this novel and all of the notes that I wrote down were just coming from that perspective of this makes me so mad because women are not just objects. We mm-hmm. are, you know, we have brains, we have thoughts. We are people and we need to be treated as such. But then I see Kirsten's point of mm-hmm. women of color or women of different ethnic backgrounds, women in different societies, different. She did you know, mention gays. Exactly. Yeah, Point women of different that. sexual orientation. She was like, no, we're Virginia, alone. Virginia Woolf is um, totally down with the sapphics, actually. She is yeah. one. She understands if the minority group includes her, it's important. Back to the point is that it felt like, <laughs> now that I'm looking at it from those points of views, and I have, I have my eyes open to it, it's easier to see that Virginia didn't really bring mm-hmm. any of that to the table. She just brought it to the table of basically appealing to my background right and appealing to honestly my 
social status. So, and like, and gender. I don't come so, from a background of like immense privilege, but I am white. I am cis. I am straight passing. I I'm almost a misandrist. <laughs> like that's the level we're at. I can count on one hand the number of men I respect um, as like actual human beings and not cute little oh look at the little boy toys. Um, like so, <laughs> that's part of why it agitates me. Is not only is she excluding women of color from the point that she's making, she's excluding men of color from the point that she's mm-hmm. making. The first mm-hmm. black officer in the British military was promoted to that position in like 1917, and he died a year later in World War One or something. It was William Tull, and she has the audacity to be out here like. Women have no more intellectual, have less intellectual freedom than the sons of Athenian slaves. And admittedly, those slaves would have mostly been white people. But, like, it's just so untrue. Or her point mm-hmm. about how she's like, oh, yeah, women have always been married off in their mid-teens. Like, no, you f- moron. That was literally just <laughs> the kind of rich women who could mostly write if they wanted to anyway. Like, would anyone take them seriously? No. And that's bad. We should still take people seriously in their art, unless it's bad. Um, oh, it we're looking at you, E.L. James. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, complaining about the poverty of women or whatever, I'm sorry, a kept woman who doesn't have any rights still has more intellectual freedom than a poor person of, Mm -hmm. to be fair, any gender or color, who actually has to work day-to-day to to maintain themselves. Because Mm -hmm. her point, like, yeah, women need, like, space and resources to themselves is totally fair. But she's already coming from a class of people that had substantially more of that than most of the men in the entire fucking world and the country in which she is from. Especially England, because England is such a highly class-stratified society. Mm -hmm. Like, class mobility isn't great anywhere. Mm -hmm. Class mobility was only a thing in general for, like, a very brief period of human history. England is just especially bad for it. (laughs) (laughs) So her audacity in her claims, so many of which are factually incorrect and refuse to acknowledge that uh, people other than white women deserve more rights, just infuriates me. It infuriates me. I... I can't think of a single good point she made other than, like, a distilled one summary sentence of what people need to be good writers. I thought her point about Jane Austen was interesting. Specifically, she talked about Jane Austen's nephew saying that she wrote most of her stuff in, like, the family parlor. She's like, imagine if she had been left alone and had a dedicated space for her writing like Charles Dickens did. How much more prolific she could have been. Because we only have six completed Jane Austen novels. I strongly disagreed with her point about Jane Eyre. I'm sure that Kirsten is going to disagree with me here. But uh, she said one point that that Jane Eyre took us out of the narrative because there was a jarring transition. I was like, yes, Grace Poole was introduced. It was supposed to be jarring. Grace Poole is supposed to be jarring. You think she's haunting the house. But that did give a different perspective on it, because in reading that section, it made me think about it from a different angle, is that um, Charlotte Bronte was probably writing that as more personal. Yeah, that was than, more th- more Charlotte than Jane, Yeah, really. exactly. And well, so she introduced that Grace Poole section to introduce the Grace Poole, Grace Poole character herself, but also to put herself back in the novel as, okay, I have to get back to the novel instead of putting my own feelings into this. 
So it might be, that was one of the points I made, is that women were writing to release some of the frustrations that they were feeling of the time. Mm -hmm. And they were able to express those frustrations in the novel or in their writing without getting reprimanded for it, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so Charlotte being able to write those feelings of wanting to get out there, wanting to see the world, wanting to do other things, it gave her a way to express those feelings without having to submit to the man, essentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if uh, she did it specifically to get herself back on track. I don't know. I didn't like Jane Eyre, for the record, because I wasn't here for the episode. I hated Jane Eyre so much that I didn't even finish it, and I was going to use spark notes to be on that episode, but then I got sick. Anyways. um, I knew before we picked that book out that she was going to hate it. First of all, me and Virginia Woolf hate Jane Eyre for completely different reasons. That's um, true. I hate Jane Eyre, Jane Eyre because it's basically like pre-Twilight. It's Twilight. <laughs> it, it was written in the, when did she write it? The 1840s, the 1850s? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. The only difference is that edward is hot and everyone thinks he's hot and only jane thinks mr rochester is hot that is really the only significant difference that we can draw between those things like in terms of vibe and characterization i can't believe Um, you thought of that before me (laughs) i'm so upset now well you see it's because unlike you i hate both of those (laughs) i i i don't love twilight Twilight is not something we read because it's got a lot of intellectual power. Twilight is something we read because it is fun. And if it's not fun for you, don't read it. It's not fun for me. I think it's another one of those things, though. Well, I definitely stopped. When when it became not fun for me, I stopped. Good. Um, It is definitely one of those things where you can tell that the author, like, the author just simply does not think I am a person. Um, Which, to be fair, is true of the majority of classic literature, which is why I'm on this podcast to give my nasty little grubby Cuban hands all over it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we uh, mind you, some the other are three white. of us. My stepmom is like light haired and light skinned and light eyed. I think she's light eyed. I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time looking people in the eye because I'm autistic. <gasps> Mood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the other three of us on the podcast are white, and we're just very grateful because we would not be able to get any sort of nuanced perspective. The way Kirsten can, and yeah. it's also why if you happen to not be white and in our area, and you want to guest on a podcast, <laughs> well, we would love to diversify a bit. Feel free to reach out to us. We're on Twitter. We are on Twitter. I Please save me from all these fucking white people. <laughs> <laughs> she chose to hang out with us. She it's did. True, I did. I it was a personal them. choice. It's yes, my you fault. Did make a choice. <laughs> it's been 11 it's years with me. Fault. It's too late now. It's not, listen, most people at Miami University are white. Where else was I going to go? You chose Miami University as well. Yeah, no, that was a bad choice on my part, hey. actually. Oh, my God. Side note. Going from, and Tenerick, Ohio, was still majority white when I left it. Um, I think it's still majority white now, but it's a lot more diverse than it used to be. Uh, by the way, just doxed us, uh, as if most of our listeners aren't people who know us in real life anyway. Um... But Miami University was like a whole thing. I was like, oh, see, I had the, the racism opposite. is weird now. I had the opposite <laughs> thing because I came from a town that I think has 2% non-white population. I looked it up on Wikipedia once. Anyway, um, it's the most 
heterogeneous white thing ever. Like, I went back to my hometown, and my parents took me to a basketball game, and I was like, my God, there's a lot of white people. My God. I had the opposite experience. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear other perspectives. Mm-hmm. And good, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will say there were a lot of... Um, students who were studying abroad from their home countries who were not mm-hmm. white. But in terms of, like, non-white Americans, it was a lot different. Not that I had any problem with the exchange students. I wish I had studied abroad. But, yeah, I, I don't know. White people are weird. Sorry, guys. No, you're right. We are. You're right. <laughs> you're right. I get it. Um, when you're like, right, I you're literally, right. I consider myself a, a scholar of the white race. <laughs> Because my, my mom's white, for reference, for people who don't know. Um, my dad is Cuban, mixed race, and my mom's white, so I'm, like, mixed race, raised with both cultures to some extent. Um, I'm going to be weird in any culture because I'm autistic, again. Just dropping that fact again, like, I don't say it five times every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to get my average back where I was because I wasn't here for Jane Eyre. Anyway. <laughs> I consider myself scholar of the white race. <laughs> And let me just say, y'all are so fucking weird. <laughs> like, yep. even being raised around it my entire life, sometimes I'm just like, God, what are you flower power rangers on? <laughs> it's called life. Because we're privileged. It's Sadly, it's whatever Virginia Woolf was on. And it's sad because she... <laughs> She even excluded, like, poor white people. I'm like, Virginia, come on. Can't you have a little bit of solidarity? <laughs> nope. Nope. She is completely nope. self-centered. I also think she's just not very bright. I'm going to be honest. I disagreed with the majority of her, like, intellectual analysis of, like, how art should work and, you know, scholarly works and existing novels written by women. Existing novels written by men. Shakespeare's play she was like oh my god they were so androgynous they were so written in the you know the nugget of truth they're universal and I'm like Virginia you can tell Shakespeare's plays were written by a man and not Uh just because he was in an era where a woman would not have been able to publish plays under her own name Somebody did, not under her own name, but a Queen of England did publish a lot of writings. Um, She was the first Queen of England to publish under her own name. Her name was Catherine Parr. According to BuzzFeed quiz I took, I am the queen. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say, and then I realized I say that a lot, so I wasn't going to say that. Thank you for coming to the Tory Talk. (laughs) Yes. But, like, that's the thing is... You can tell Shakespeare plays were written by a man. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I have never... There is literally one book that I've read and not been able to say, okay, this was definitely written by a man. Or this was not written by a man. And that is My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. If we did things other than classics on this podcast, we would be reading My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. Could not tell. His novel, My Best Friend's Exorcism, was about teenage girls. I did not think that book was written by a man, which is revolutionary in terms of skill level. Um, not for one second did I think that book was written by a man until I looked up the author. So until Shakespeare can do what Grady Hendrix has done, um, because Grady Hendrix could write Hamlet, which is the only good Shakespeare play. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Then I don't want to hear shit about Shakespeare having 
a neutral artistic genius. Yeah. Um, it, he does not. I read The Tempest and Miranda saw somebody who wasn't her father and she was immediately like, interesting. I have, I have read books. That was The Tempest. That I could not tell were written by a woman, but I've never read a book by a man other than my best friend's exorcism by Grady Hendrix that I could not tell was written by a man. So, first of all, her criticism that women write such gendered novels is fucking bullshit. Also, um, why not write mm-hmm. gendered novels? Right, like, like Jane Austen did novels. it. Why? Well, she did say that Jane Austen was a better author for having written gendered novels. That's true, she did. Um, and she did criticize men somewhat for writing novels that were, like, too male. Mm-hmm. My problem is her definition of too male is... It's like comparing communists to liberals. Like, yeah, communism is way further left than a liberal is. But a liberal is still on the left. Um, normal artistic genius that she's supposedly quoting as such is the liberal to the communism of the people she says are writing male novels. You know, none of Jane Austen's books pass the reverse Bechdel test. None right. of them. The one where uh, men have a conversation that's about something other than a woman? Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I thought the Bechdel test, oh, right. It's the reverse Bechdel test. Right, right, right. Not a single one of her six finished novels, and I don't think any of the ones that were published after her death either. I actually disagree with, with what Kirsten said, just regarding, like, there was nothing really in the novel that was like, I don't know. I personally think that there were a couple things in the novel I'm sorry I've got to be super pedantic for just one second it's not a novel it's an essay and I just I can't I can't not say I'm sorry. it it's you an can, essay but it is a fictionalized you can essay. do it again but I had to say it once the and I feel better now no it's a narrated essay it's very weird it's but honestly it's very weird is the thing okay so it's a fictionalized I, I had to say it and now you can That's say right. it you can do it again I I've, just, I've said it and now I feel better thank I you there were a couple points in the essay that I did agree with, and they were very, very surface-level things. The first one is that most, if not all, discord can be solved with a good meal. <laughs> That's true. I mean... Yeah, I did like the part where she was like, nobody talks about anything that happens at a picnic. Nobody talks about what food gets eaten. Just yes. something very witty that we said, and I was like, By yeah! Way, um, blueberry scone and lemon, lemon poppy, poppy seed, seed muffin. muffin? Mm-hmm. Tori is an excellent baker. Oh, thank you. It's, Tori I, is an excellent baker. I really like yeah. cooking for people. It makes my heart happy and my kitchen messy, <laughs> which is not, the second one's not great. <laughs> <laughs> the second point that I agree with from the essay was that men are stupid and they always interrupt important thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of feel like that's wrong. Um... <laughs> Aimed at me there, my love. It was very well timed. I actually, I mean, I guess that's why it's surface level. But not in my purse. Like I said. So we had to take a little pause there for Tori's weekly asthma attack. Brought to you by our sponsor, Recipe Pro Air, Pro Air Recipe Click. Yes. <laughs> I have yet um, to have to use my inhaler at one of these. The words of the great philosopher so... Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> Sorry, I actually that was feel loud. like she went out of her way to soothe men's egos and to like she acknowledge did. the intellectual accomplishments of men. To the point where I was like, Jenny, you're feeling a little bit pick me, girl. <laughs> Just know? a bit, yeah. That you know already it's okay. noticed you. Like, 
see. We don't there fuck was, with the not like other girls trope. There was another point that I literally laughed out loud. And it was, why is men never, never discuss women? Or anything else for that matter. I did and that made me laugh out loud because my brain just thought wise men don't discuss anything because no men are wise. <laughs> <laughs> A wise man once said some men are born great. Some men achieve greatness and some men are given it as a graduation present. <laughs> that was a Robin Williams quote that we probably shouldn't use. I'm now realizing that. <laughs> it's fine. We're not monetized. So That's we technically true. can't have a copyright violation. Oh, well, they can't for this. copyright you for reading out a quote. Yeah, and the other the other thought that I had like there there were a few thoughts, um, the other one that was rather surface level, um, but she very accurately described when you get interrupted in the in a thought mm-hmm. and how one thought can take you to different places. Like at the very beginning of the novel, when she, sorry the essay when she had. <laughs> Again, I just had to say it. You can I call know, it a I novel know. that will make your heart happy. I can't. Okay. <laughs> At the very beginning of the essay, she said that she ha- she was just daydreaming, and then next thing she knew, she was rushing across campus, and she was walking through the grass, and she had to do something extremely important, and a guy told her that she wasn't allowed on the grass. She had to walk on the pavement. And then that prompted both the thought of stupid men always interrupt important thoughts and the idea that the flitting of your thoughts whenever you're daydreaming, something important comes up and you have to act in that moment, otherwise you're going to lose it. And what's frustrating to me is that it happens all the freaking time. I feel like it's more ADHD than anything else. I was going to say. Is that, like, you have <laughs> those thoughts and you have to get it done and then you get distracted by something else and then distracted by something else, and now you can't get back to what you were doing in the first place. I feel like that's for anything creative anyway. It, yeah, that is very true. And the, kind of the general distraction is, uh, yeah, that's that's just ADHD baby, which is another thing I'm diagnosed with now. I am but. unofficially TikTok diagnosed. <laughs> TikTok diagnosed her. Doctor diagnosed me. No, I get to have TikTok, meth about it. TikTok was the cause of it, I think. No, no. I've always had it. Like I was, anyway. I know it's gotten a lot worse. Though. I was diagnosed with ADHD, but by somebody I do not okay? think diagnosed me correctly. Like... Therefore, I'm just kind of ignoring it. Okay. I'm pretty sure she was wrong because she didn't try very hard. I think your current therapist it may be beneficial to look at it though. I mean, she seems like she'd have a good idea of it. Yeah, when I said it, she kind of looked at me funny, and I was like, "You don't think I have that, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't particularly think you have it. I I don't either. I think I have all of the symptoms of the other thing that line up with. This. So, there was one final thought that was very uh-huh. surface level that I wanted to bring up one more time, is that it made me realize that women were religious because that was the only, like, scholarly building they were allowed into unaccompanied. Hmm, yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's why old uh, women's out. colleges were referred to as seminaries. Mm-hmm. Because, like she said, she wasn't allowed to go into the library at Oxford and was told to... Oxbridge. Sorry, Oxbridge. Very fake. She wasn't allowed to go into (laughs) Oxbridge because she wasn't accompanied and she didn't have a letter of introduction. And so she had to go to the church or the seminary in order to do the research that she was looking for. But she couldn't even do that because the novel, the information she needed wasn't there. Yes, Quentin? Okay. I was just trying not to interrupt. Thank you. And thinking about how hilarious it is that you said it was which queen that um Catherine Parr 
Yeah. That started it? No, that, Margaret Beaufort. That university? Oh, Margaret Beaufort founded university. She wasn't actually a queen. Uh, okay, um, Margaret Beaufort was uh, my lady, the, que- the king's mother, because her son took the throne through a battle, and he was Henry VIII's father. Mm-hmm. But the, the hilarious part was that by those rules, the founder would not have Correct. been allowed in. <laughs> Correct. Margaret Beaufort is like a weird scholarly icon. <laughs> like, she was a deeply religious woman and definitely founded religious universities, which was basically all they had at the time. Um, she only had one child, um, and she was like dressed like a nun and all her, she's praying in like all the paintings of her. She was a deeply, deeply religious woman. And then her grandson did a reformation about it. <laughs> it was just very weird and that's not what we're here to talk about. But I do want to say even it's fine if you cut it. Her grandson did a reformation about it to the daughter of the monarchs that were literally labeled by the Catholic Church as the most Catholic because they conquered the entirety of the Iberian Peninsula minus Portugal and took it back from the Moors and expelled every non-Christian person in that country. And, well, people who were not Catholic did not exist at the time. This was before the... Well... In Spain. Just for reference, (laughs) she's talking about Henry VIII and Queen Catherine of... Of Aragon. Aragon. Aragon, however you want to pronounce it. I don't know. She's not a... What's she going to do to me? Catherine of Aragon was the daughter of the king and queen of Spain. Yes, she The ones who expelled the Moors from Spain, who got labeled as the most Catholic That is the the kind of confidence that being a white man in 1530 will give you. I just think I should go about my life with the confidence and audacity of both Henry VIII, who did the thing we're talking about, and also Catherine of Aragon, who got whole ass divorced and locked in a castle for the rest of her life and still signed every single letter with Queen of England. Catherine, Queen of England, icon, role model, dead. Um. Um, I mean, she would have hated me, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and to be oh, fair, yeah. I also would have hated her. Oh, yeah. Colonizer. Um. Technically, she didn't anyway. do anything. She was directly descendant. Do but we want she to talk definitely... about white people not technically doing anything? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can we get back to the essay, Just my dear? Just to be clear, slavery was over in this country when my ancestors got here. I'm done now. <laughs> Okay, in my defense, it was over when mine got here, too. Yeah, no, my family's <laughs> definitely, we're white privilege. We're, yeah. Yeah, sorry, anyway. <laughs> I think Libby's mad at us now and got revenge on Quentin about it. But I, I, I did want to say one thing. Quentin asking to say something so that way he didn't interrupt meant that he's not stupid. Not for that reason, anyway. <laughs> well, he, he's not a stupid man who interrupts important thoughts. <laughs> He is not doing the thing that Virginia Woolf would have criticized him for. Yes. Yes. Of course, Virginia Woolf would have hated me. (laughs) Possibly more than Catherine of Aragon. (laughs) I also wanted to note in the essay that I love the snippets that Virginia added. I think it was just in the second part where it was just back and forth between different authors on their takes on women. And my bottom line was just, so women are a walking contradiction. What Mm -hmm. else is new? Well, I do think that kind of ties nicely into her opinion of women as a mirror. um, Mm -hmm. To kind of magnify the greatness of men. Whether it's by, 
you know, kind of offensive comparison. Oh, men are so much stronger, more impressive than women. Eh. Or by, like, praise of, Look what this guy got as a prize. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or even as, like, when the man came home from whatever it is that he was out doing, and the woman was there to, like, comfort him and build him back up so that way he could go back out and be the breadwinner. And when they gave, or when they thought that they were giving women the opportunity to be more than that, that decreased their egos, that suppressed their egos, and that wasn't acceptable. Because, you know, men, um, sorry, I have a lot of anger there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's fascinating that a lot of those thoughts and feelings have not changed in current times. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people would have adapted already, damn it. You would think, but so, they haven't. Regarding the um, accepted place for women at the time, like being a mirror for the man and, you know, not having their own brain, essentially, was that, like, ingratiated in their youth or was that literally beaten into the women? Do you feel like women had their own thoughts and feelings about this before they were told, no, you can't do that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anyone... I'm sure a lot of people, like, even now, you look at it, have tried to do something and told, no, that's for girls, no, that's for boys. Oh, yes. Um, mm-hmm. I also think it's worth saying, you know, just like anyone, anyone wants to do in life, people are molded into cultural norms. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people accept them fairly easily and don't so think about So I was again. unmolded. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. what it is. That's why I Well, that's because you were forced into a caregiver-like role, and that is typically reserved for women. So you were given the opportunity to see from the other side of the glass, so you didn't stay on one side. And that's why Quentin's one of the men, which, again, I would like to let you all know, I can count these men on one hand, one of the only men I respect. Thank you, thank you. I will still continue to make white men jokes, though. Sorry, Quentin. I don't care. (laughs) I lost what I was going to (laughs) say. Oh, um, the first published author that we know of wrote, like, prayers, hymns, that sort of thing, myths. Uh, Her name was, and Henduana was a woman. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was an ancient Mesopotamian priestess. The first novel was written by a woman. Actually, um... Virginia Woolf actually talks about her. It was Lady Murasaki in The Tale of Genji. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's like, she knows things. Why isn't she good at any of the things <laughs> she knows? That's what frustrates me, is she's clearly very well-educated and has absolutely no critical thinking or analysis skills whatsoever, as far as I can tell, because literally every thought that comes out of her mouth is stupid. I think it was a Tell us how you really think she married. <laughs> <laughs> so, I also had another open-ended question. Yeah. More open-ended. So, in the essay, we realized that women were being referenced as their relation to men. So, what would happen if we did the opposite? If we referred to men as their relation to women? Jane Austen novels, but modern. Well, we would have your... we, We would have... The situation that I find myself in, where mm-hmm. most of your friends know me, know, know you as my husband, yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. because I'm honestly almost an otaku, but I don't really care. 
Honestly, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point that it would be like a modernized Jane Austen novel. Um, my family's like that to a certain extent, actually, because men keep walking out on my mom and aunt. <laughs> Just kidding. My mom left both of her husbands for very good reasons, even though I love my dad. Um, but basically, in our family, there's only two two men born into the family. Um, and putting aside some points that I could make about that, because I'm actually estranged from the majority of my family by choice, uh, it is expected that most of us are girls. They expect men to marry in, um, because, you know, yikes. And it's kind of expected that the people who marry in will fully integrate into our family and sort of like abandon their birth family to a certain extent like they're not supposed to be as important as our family is kind of the dynamic that exists in our family mm -hmm. um which is super she gets it. stupid but um kind of like i do see that dynamic because mostly men marry in mm -hmm. um the in-laws like of my family are not supposed to have any particular importance they're supposed to prioritize our family so, kind of men in the family do end up being contextualized by their relationship to women. Mm -hmm. um, like, is that, like, the Cuban culture? Oh, no, this like... is on my mom's side of the family. My dad's side, side of the family is normal. Because <laughs> that is okay. absolutely not a cultural norm so, for Cuban families, necessarily. I want to, I want to make mm -hmm. sure that it's normal for American culture. I know that there's probably... Is that normal for American culture? When it's women? When it's women, no. Okay. When it's men, yes. Yeah. And that's difficult that's for American culture. Like I feel like there's other cultures out there that put a focus on the matriarch. Yes. Um, there's a lot of evidence in the Old Testament that uh, the gods would follow the women. Like in the story of Jacob and Rachel and Rachel's sister Leah. That's her name. Um, Rachel takes the household gods into Jacob's house from her father's house matriarchal lineages have been a thing now not always um i wrote an entire essay on the mothers of israel and their relationship with god and how it develops throughout the I'd narrative i might i'm i'm pretty sure i still have it but i don't have word installed on this pc so whether or not i can still open it is a different question <laughs> you might be able to open it in if Google you can Docs. send it yeah I maybe could, i could open it well good news guys i have my laptop <laughs> <laughs> but i wrote an entire essay on that and yeah, there w I would recommend moving your laptop between the microphone and... Yeah. But yeah, the role of women in antiquities was very different than we perceive it to be now. Now, it was not necessary. It wasn't not patriarchal. Like, women were still kept in the house. They had to cover their hair when they could go up. They couldn't go out. They could, um, they could pray in the church. There's evidence in the New Testament that women were not only encouraged but to go to church, speak in church, but be leaders in the church. Now, there's a whole lot of apocryphal stuff going around about it, and I fight you in the street about it. But <laughs> Paul specifically has a sidekick named Chloe. There is um, apocryphal writing about a woman who works with him named Thecla. There's also stuff in Timothy about women not preaching, but everybody worth their salt in the academic circles I run in. Well, I don't really run in them anymore, but the academic <laughs> circles that I'm interested in, nobody thinks Paul wrote Timothy. Nobody. Um... The only people who ever cite Timothy as being Pauline are people who full-on agree with his points and want to use him to back them up. <laughs> That's the only time it happens. Okay. Um, I think it's worth noting that even a lot of societies that are patriarchal, as in the men have the power, a lot of those societies are still 
matrilineal, which is to say a man will marry into a family and that woman's father and brothers will be the people in power in the family, but then his sons will be the people of power in the family. Um, hmm. And again, I do think part of the family condition on my mom's side is that uh, they have shitty taste in men. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm personally of the mind that it doesn't freaking matter. Like, it shouldn't matter what your gender is. We are all people. This is true. This is objectively correct. Congratulations. Quentin's not a stupid man. <laughs> Go ahead, honey. I want to high five. Yeah, he wants a high <laughs> okay, five. Sorry. She's <laughs> been banging for a long time considering how much she's supposed I'm to love. I'm sorry. Him. Mothers of Genesis is <laughs> the J source. Okay. Found it. Woohoo! Uses view only is fine. Let's see it's if fine. I can actually, you know, stop it, Microsoft. But yeah, so I mean, but, I think in individual circumstances, we can kind of envision that sort of yeah. thing. Some of I'm, us have seen it in our lives. I'm just frustrated with, like, I know people who are very much pressured to have male children or feel very pressured to have boys and it's frustrating that it's such a like it's so important to those societies and to those people that they have men like what is so wrong about having a vagina like we're we give birth to all the all the people so to be fair those aren't a one-to-one thing having a vagina and being a man or woman oh my apologies my apologies i'm sorry i have to be like that sure i'm compelled yeah we are talking about birth though so i get yeah how that would mean to have a kid yeah people are assigned one or the other at birth based on you know what they're packing if you identify as female i feel like there is no there should be more like purpose put into or more effort put into creating those who identify as female rather than those who identify as male because everything that i've read like the math just doesn't add up if a if a female has sex a hundred times in a year she could only have or the female could only have one child in nine months if they have the first one at the beginning they could have a second one at the end of the year this is true they could have up to Two children in they that can entire only time, make sp- one time span. Unless there's okay. twins or something. But they can only make one pregnancy. But the point I'm is, they could only have two pregnancies. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm so pedantic. I can't imagine what might cause that. Oh, I have no idea. Anyway, I know you have but no. if a person Sorry. who identified as male had sex, unprotected sex, a hundred times within a year, they could cause a hundred pregnancies. So why is there so much focus on having men and basically providing that That's large... That's actually why. Like, I'm frustrated by this. Mm-hmm. Because why are we focused on as being just incubators and power-up potions? Because old people just want to have grandchildren. They oh, there's care. young people who are like this, too. I oh, yeah. wish I know, that our generation was actually more, pro- more progressive than uh, older generations. But they're not. It is an ongoing issue. <laughs> it just frustrates me. Like, I don't want to have children. I do not. I am young. I am married. But I do not want to have children. So why is it such a big deal for me to be pressured to have children? Like, why is 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 my life unfulfilled? Because I don't have children. It is fulfilled. I have a house. I have a family. I have two fur babies. That's all I need in my life. I have a good paying job. I can take care of myself. It shouldn't matter other than that. I have a lot of frustration. I will stop now. 
You're right, it shouldn't, but the yeah. socialization of gender assumes that women want to be nurturers. We're not just, the social con concept of gender is not just that we are defaulted into that role. The concept is that we're in that role because we want it because we're better at it, and people assume we want to keep doing it. People assume we want to have children to take care of, or a husband to take care of even. That's why so many heterosexual couples, the woman's just like, why haven't you like done the dishes? I'm not talking about you guys, of course. This is a very broad generalization, but a lot of we do that too. It's okay. Well, a lot of <laughs> a lot of heterosexual <laughs> couples, but not the same way. The a lot of heterosexual way. couples will find themselves like the mo the woman is basically mothering the husband. The yeah. goal of most heterosexual men is to find a mom he can. Yeah, this is not so. You're not you know, so this is not a universal truth, of course, but it is so pre prevalent. And now that, you know, everybody under the age of 30 is gay, um, it's hopefully dying out. Keep it gay, keep it gay, keep it gay. <laughs> I really like the part where the one woman comes in, keep it gay. Keep it gay, keep it gay, keep it gay. That was our musical contribution for this week. I hope everyone enjoyed it. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so... Any final thoughts on either Virginia Woolf or the essay of Removal and Zone? Fuck Virginia Woolf. I would have sex with literally every one of her ex-girlfriends just to piss her off. <laughs> That's fair. Several. No, yeah. I know. But she was also married to a Jewish man, even though she was openly anti-Semitic. You know what? I would fuck Leonard Woolf too. To piss her off. <laughs> <laughs> I will take one for the team to make Virginia Woolf's life miserable. She should be grateful she's dead. I think we should close on that. I think so, too. <laughs> All right. Join us next time when we will be discussing A Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. We said last time that Kirsten would get to picks and she hated all of the last few books we've done. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you guys have something else in mind, just in case I can't finish reading it because I can't read recently. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Audiobooks. I can't focus on audiobooks, although I guess I could try by playing The Sims. <laughs> audiobooks for me work better if they're a read. Minecraft so works for me. I've done uh, Minecraft as well. Basically sandbox games with no plot. <laughs> I can't really do Minecraft unless I hear it because I don't want anything to sneak up on me. I play on peaceful mode. mode. No, I refuse. I consider it a challenge. Well, that right. sounds like a personal problem. It yeah. is. You know, it's it's that point personal, my love. Oh, yeah. I can do that. Okay. And it even tells okay. you what direction it's coming from. Okay. Oh, yeah. That is nothing. So join us next time for Kirsten's pick. A picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Come read with us. Come read, Come read with, with us. us. Virginia Woolf. <laughs> <laughs>